Thank you all for that beautiful music. Um, I am Becky Hayes. I have the privilege of being here because um, Chris is with Braden this week. Um, he's having lots of doctor's appointments and tests and preparing for another surgery on his arm. Um, but Chris wanted me to let you know how much she has appreciated all your prayers and that she misses you. Um, this has been a hectic week for me, and I'm sure it has been for you too. It just is that way. Um, sometimes on hectic weeks, you, you're not sure you can do all the things that you have to do. But one of my sweet um, prayer partners sent me a song last night. She often, that's a way she prays for people is by sending songs. And it was truly exactly what I needed. It was a beautiful a cappella version of I Love to Tell the Story. And that is why I'm here. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. And I know that's why you're here too. So welcome. Um, we moved to Dallas when I was 11, and I was a country girl. And we moved into a, what seemed to me like an extraordinarily ritzy part of town. Um, and I was really awkward and really geeky and so I hid in academics because that was a safe place to be. So um, I, in high school, I took four years of Spanish. I made A's every year. I placed out of two years of college Spanish, made A's in the other two. And I can, not, I can read almost anything, but I cannot speak a word, nor can I understand a conversation if I'm listening to it. Maybe if they slowed down, but I can't speak it or understand it. My brother, on the other hand, flunked out of every year of high school Spanish that he took. I'm not sure how he graduated, actually, but he speaks it fluently and uses it in his daily life. Difference was my learning was purely academic and his learning was purely experiential. So he lives and works and talks with people who speak the language. I can conjugate the verbs. I can even diagram the sentences, just like I think the scribes and Pharisees could do with the law. But my brother can pick up innuendos and intricate meanings hidden inside the words. And sometimes when, as we've been reading about the disciples this week, this year, and them listening to Jesus and hearing his words, but just not getting it, I think they must have felt they must have felt kind of like I do when I'm listening to a conversation in Spanish, because they 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 had heard his words, but they were still um, not getting the meaning. And I know that even for myself, in these last several weeks, um, as I've read these two chapters over and over, I finally felt like I wasn't just reading Jesus' words, that I was actually hearing him. I was actually hearing him speak to me on a much deeper level than I'd ever read these chapters before. And there were times when I would just weep. That's not really true. That's a pretty word. I would bawl over the beauty of his words and the angst that was in his heart for his disciples and for us. And I wanted to just sit in his presence and listen and listen. Um, but still I felt 
what the, what the disciples felt too after all this time. They believed in so far as they could, but something was still lacking. And that's what we're going to look at today. Um, our first thing, though, that Jesus did in chapter 16 was that he prepared his disciples to expect trouble. Um, N.T. Wright writes that the disciples are about to be plunged into a short, sharp, and intensely painful period. So I have to tell you a Chris story since she's not here. Um, she and some other girls went to New York City one Christmas for a girl's trip. And some of you may know this, but there is an event that happens in New York City at Christmas called a Christmas Crawl. And you're nodding your head. Everybody dresses like Santa. But from what I understand from the telling of the story as I heard it, particularly some of the girls' Santa suits are a little skimpy. And it's kind of just an opportunity for people to hook up and go bar crawling. And so Chris and Heather were standing on the corner in front of their hotel, and there was a group of guys over here, you know, 20s, whatever, and a group of girls over here, probably even younger, and they were like making eye contact, and um, Heather and Chris were most concerned. And so they walked over to the girls and started talking to them. You know, what is this deal that's going on? What do y'all do? And the girls are saying, oh, you know, we just, you know, we get together with... Other, we get together with people and we just, you know, like drink a lot and have fun. And, you know, their, their minds were going, danger, danger, danger. And they, they just had to talk to these girls. And so they started saying, well, you know, you don't know those guys. You don't know what they're about. You don't, this is really not a good idea. Don't you want to just, you know, do something else? And the girls, you know, blew that off. And they were, so they started walking all to, off down the street and Heather just couldn't stand it. And her little mother heart just goes, I mean, they're, they're gone, you know, but her little mother heart just goes, make good choices. <laughs> she just couldn't let them go. And I think that that's how Jesus felt when he, I mean, this is the last time he's going to talk to his disciples, and he wants them to make good choices, and he wants to warn them. He knew that he was leaving them in a hugely dangerous world, even more dangerous than New York City at Christmas. So they, they it was necessary that their confusion get changed to understanding, and the understanding that they had in even deeper levels. One of my favorite things in the Bible are the, the very many so that's. In my Bible, they have a little um, turquoise triangle around them, so, or rectangle, that would be. So um, they're easy to spot. But we're going to look at several of them in these two chapters. We're even going to go back to chapter 15 to start with. Um, as he was talking to them about the persecution that they were about to face, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And so that, when it happens, you will believe. So you know that chapter 16 is just a continuation of that conversation. And so Jesus begins this chapter by saying, All this I have told you so that, when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. And he goes on in um, 
chapter 4, no, wait, wait, wait. First he said, I have told you this so that you will not go astray. And then I've told you this so that when the time comes, you'll remember that I warned you. He wanted them to be aware of the fears and the doubts that were going to confront them so that they wouldn't fall away because of it. They wouldn't be ensnared by the hatred of the world that would attempt to keep them um, and ruin their witness of the Messiah. Um, I love Mother Teresa, and one of the things that's always struck me about her is that um, when people ask her, you know, how may I pray for you, one of the things that she frequently says is, please pray for us that we will be faithful and not interfere with God's work. Pray for us that we will be faithful and not interfere with God's work. The disciples, without Jesus' warning, would have unwittingly interfered with his work. If it were possible for them, they would have prevented the crucifixion. Mother Teresa's request presupposes that God is actively working in the world and that we can muck it up if we act on partial understanding. So secondly, after he warns them to expect trouble, then he encourages them. Isn't that so like him? He encourages them to expect the Holy Spirit, which, of course, is the missing piece to their understanding. So he started this discussion by telling his disciples a little bit about the work of the Holy Spirit. And what he's talking about here is the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, the unbelieving world. Um, and we'll see more things that he does in the lives of believers. But here it's talking about what, how he works in the unbelieving world. Um, in various translations, it says he convicts of these things or he convinces of these things. Um, and I kind of like the combination of those because I think that he does both. Convicting is the work of a judge that's examining a soul and finding it guilty. Then convincing... It appeals to the intellect of that person to persuade that soul to do something about the conviction which has been pronounced. So the Holy Spirit convicts and convinces the world of three things. First is sin. If we don't know what sin is and then we are sinners, then we don't understand our need. We must accept God's assessment of who we are. Secondly, the Holy Spirit convinces and convicts of God's righteousness, which makes us even more aware of our sin. We must accept who God is. And third, he convicts and convinces that judgment is coming so that we will repent. We must choose his solution. Human reasoning cannot convict or convince anyone of the realities of Christ or of his atoning power the power that can liberate people from sin and its ultimate consequence of eternal death. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to convert. I'm going to read um, 16, 8 through 11 in the message version, which put it for me in more understandable terms, I guess. So it says, starting in verse 8, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin, that righteousness comes from above, where I am with the Father out of their sight and control, and that judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted. 
Notice that he started that with when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes. Okay, we are right here just before the betrayal and the arrest and then the crucifixion and, and his rising again. But when the Holy Spirit comes is at Pentecost. And that's still approximately 40 days from where we are right in this chapter. So they still have a big chunk of time of not having full understanding until the Holy Spirit comes to give them that. But I love how well Jesus knew his followers. He knew they were asking questions among each other, among themselves, and even in their own minds. Um, he knew the questions in his friends' hearts. And he knows the questions in our hearts, too. And um, so right now, I want you to take just a minute. Think of a question that you would like to ask Jesus and write it down. Really, I just need a drink of water, but let's go ahead. Okay, whatever that question is, even if you didn't have time to write it down, um, ask him to talk about that question, to, with you about that question this week in the coming days, and watch and listen for his answer, because he loves to do that. And maybe we'll share some of those after break. So, um, Jesus is about to go away, and if he didn't go away, the promised helper, the Holy Spirit, wouldn't come. So, the Holy Spirit is a spirit, but he has person-like qualities. Um, he completes what the Father plans and fulfills what the Son began. The Holy Spirit will manifest the active presence of God in the world through us. He's not some supernatural influence floating around in the clouds above. He comes to us. And then through us, he carries out his ministry in the world. So he's a very significant part of that um, communication process when Jesus speaks. He's the key to the understanding. Um, look at verse 12. It says, Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can handle now. I want to share a Corey Ten Boom story with you. You know, you'll recall she's the one who wrote um, The Hiding Place. And um, anyway, this story happens when she was 10. Um, she, at, she asked her father about a poem that they had read at school. One line in the poem described a young man whose face was not shadowed by sex sin. So this is Corey speaking. Sex, I was pretty sure, meant whether you were a boy or a girl. And sin made Tante Jans very angry. But what the two meant together, I could not imagine. And so, seated next to Father in the train compartment, I suddenly asked, Father, what is sex sin? He turned to look at me as he always did when he was going to answer a question. But to my surprise, he said nothing. At last he stood up lifted his traveling case from the rack above our heads and set it on the floor. Will you carry it off the train, Corey? He said. I stood up and tugged at it. It was crammed with the watches and spare parts he'd purchased that morning. 
It's too heavy, I said. Yes, he said, and it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you are older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. And I was satisfied. I was more than satisfied. I was wonderfully at peace. There, are an there were answers to this and all my hard questions. For now, I was content to leave them in my father's keeping. And I would call that progressive teaching because we need progressive learning. I've had and heard lots of conversations in the last couple of weeks about how glad we are that God didn't tell us in advance the things and situations that would happen in our lives. And when reading the scripture, I find myself repeatedly going, wait a minute, when did that get there? I've never seen that phrase before, although I know that I've read it before. Um, and that's because this is not just black and white on paper. God's word is living and active, and the Holy Spirit knows exactly when we're ready for a deeper understanding of some idea we have may, may, maybe we've glanced at before, or maybe we are to, we've totally missed. But He knows we're ready now. I love that. Um, I like the need to know approach. How good of God to shield us from the future until we're ready for it. Jill Briscoe <clears throat> says. Our language is full of words like maybe, perhaps, someday. God knows something we don't. His language consists of shall be and will be because he knows ahead while we but know behind. He does not send me into my future alone, but waits for me to meet him there. So our first point was that Jesus warned them to expect trouble. And now we are beginning to see that with the help of the Holy Spirit, that trouble becomes glory. The Holy Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from me what is mine and making it known to you, Jesus said. Therefore, trouble becomes glory, and glory is greater than trouble. Um. Jesus' warning of future suffering came with a promise, that's, and that's part of that promise. I've said these things to you, he said in 33, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The Holy Spirit, and I know, I know you know this, the Holy Spirit will and does calm our hearts when there's no reason for calm. He gives us inner peace when troubles from the world seem overwhelming. Jesus himself takes up residence in the lives of believers through the Holy Spirit. And if you think about it, as I thought about it, that's an even more intimate union than he had with his disciples who walked with him daily on the earth. He walked beside them, but he's come to live in us. So he is with us at any moment, in any place. So um, chapter 16 goes directly into chapter 17. They're still in the same place. The difference is that Jesus now turns his attention away from his disciples, who he's been instructing for the last three chapters, and now he turns to talk to his father. 
So I think it's reasonable to think that the disciples heard Jesus' words as he talked to his father. And I remember as a little girl hearing my mother pray for us. Sometimes I wish she didn't, but she did. But at any rate, listening to her pray for us had great impact on me. So I try to imagine um, the disciples sitting there listening to Jesus talk to his father about them out of a heart full of such caring and such purpose and such love and and even um, such concern and the kind of impact that that must have had on them. What we call the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, that was Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. This is a personal, intimate listening in as he actually prays to his Father. Disciples are still there, but notice that it says he lifted his eyes toward heaven. He raised his eyes. He was talking to an audience of one, and they were just had the privilege of, lift, of listening in. So what are some things that we can model from this prayer? Um. Jesus lived a life of prayer. Prayer was the basis of his, of his life and his ministry. So many times it talks about that he went alone to pray to his father. We don't know the content of those prayers, but we do have this. He prayed regularly, so we must pray regularly for these things. We can pray regularly to reflect his glory. Jesus never used the word crucify when he referred to the cross. He repeatedly equated the cross with being glorified. When he prayed for himself, he asked that he would be glorified. A few years ago, uh, my first Bible study at Rock Point was the first time that I was introduced to um, the idea of having a word. Many of you have a word that you're that you're asking, you're praying over this year, or you're asking God to reveal things to you about that word? Well, there was um, one woman in our study who chose the word glory. Now, she was far beyond me in her spiritual walk at that time for certain. But honestly, I was totally befuddled. That word, glory, at that time was so outside my understanding that I couldn't understand. Glory. What did that even mean? And how could a person choose that word to be taught? Well, let me read the first part of Jesus' prayer from the message. It helped my understanding of that concept more than anything since then. Um, So I'm going to read 17, 1 through 5, and then verse 10. Father, it is time. Display the bright splendor of your sun so the sun may in turn show your bright splendor. You put him in charge of everything human so he might give real and eternal life to all in his charge. And this is real and eternal life, that they know you, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on earth by completing down to the last detail what you assigned me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me with your very own splendor, the very splendor I had in your presence before there was a world. Everything mine is yours and yours mine, and my life is on display in them. So that's what Precious Debbie was about, Christ's life on display in her. That's the glory that Jesus was asking his father for. Um, Flash forward a few years, um, the disciples have spread, the the church has begun, um, but they're facing a lot of things too, and Paul writes to encourage them often. He wrote um, in 2 Corinthians to the church of Corinth, In verse 318, he says, And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as they're reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Um, William Barclay talks about this time in Jesus' life, knowing that as he finishes this prayer... He says, William Barclay says, From this prayer, Jesus was to go straight out to the betrayal, the trial, and the cross. He was not to speak to his disciples again. It is a wonderful and a precious thing to remember that before these terrible hours, his last words were not of despair, but of glory. So we can ask God often, regularly, that we would glorify him so that others would be drawn to his glory. Okay, this is just a little rabbit trail. Um, No extra charge, and we'll get back to where we're going. But I just love the whole idea that God's talking to himself. (laughs) I mean, really. Chris said last week, remember, there's Chris the mother, Chris the daughter, Chris the sister, they're, they're all Chris, but they all have three different purposes. Well, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They talk to each other. They talk to themselves. I just love that part. Um, and I think, as I try to think about how they communicate, I mean, I know it's on levels, we, you know, just unimaginable to us, but I, but I just love that. God, think about this, though. God has fellowship within himself. He does not need fellowship with us. But do you realize that he so desired fellowship with us that he sent his one and only beloved son to live and die and be raised among us to win for us the privilege of fellowship with him forever if we would just accept his offer? So, ladies, that fact alone should forever erase the lie that Satan tries to tell us that we are not of immense value. We are of immense value. Secondly, we can pray regularly to finish the work he gives us. This is a practical application that we dare not miss Jesus set a model for finishing the task that God gives us to do. 
I know that I've been guilty of starting some task for the Lord with great enthusiasm, only to abandon it unfinished in the busyness of my life. So let's pray that the Lord will keep us faithful to the work he calls us to. The scripture, as far as I can find, has no reference to retirement. However, a little caution here. Um, this work that he finished was the work that God called him to do. And that's what we need to do, the work that God calls us to. So remember that just because there is a need, you are not necessarily called to meet that need. That can be another of Satan's sneaky traps to keep us too busy. Don't say yes to every need just because it's there. You have the Holy Spirit living within you, and he is there to give you wisdom and discernment about the work that he has for you to do. Because if we do the work that he does, it's not what he has. It just burns us out. All right, thirdly, we can pray for sanctification. If you got the flu shot, you're less likely to get the flu, or if you do get it, you probably won't have as bad a case. Sanctification is the immunization that we need to live in the world. Jesus speaks in verse 11 to his Father as Holy Father. Think about that from our perspective. We sang in the, um, in the Revelation song, God is holy, 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 unapproachable by sinful man. But because of Jesus, he is now our Holy Father, just as he is Jesus' Holy Father. In that verse, he says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of the name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Amanda and Christy led us in singing that, um, of that beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus Christ, our King. The keeping ministry of believers is the act of a holy God in contrast to a sinful world. Jesus says in that verse, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And the world as used here is anything that would um, draw us away from what the Lord wants for us or anything that opposes God's perfect will. And that is Satan's purpose in this world. And he uses subtle things like busyness or distractions. So again, pray for God's discernment through the Holy Spirit to recognize attacks of the world in whatever form they come. The antipathy or the hatred between believers and the world doesn't mean that we go live in isolation. We can't go to a monastery and stay there. It is rather that we live lives of infiltration. The disciples were able to go into the world because they were not of the world, and we are equally qualified. Jesus didn't pray for removal from the world, but for awareness of the evil one. The antidote is sanctification, which is, again, a churchy word for being set apart for God's use. Verses 17 through 19 read, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself so that they too may truly be sanctified. Um, in the Old Testament, sanctification talks about consecrating um, sacrifices and things like that, things that priests did. Jesus was the only person who could sanctify himself. He set himself apart for God's purposes, which was just about 
um, to culminate in his death and resurrection. He didn't need anyone to sanctify him, but he asked his father to do that for us, to consecrate us to his service. So we're sanctified when we accept Christ. That's part of the gift. Salvation, yes. Sanctification, too. But it's also an ongoing process of becoming more like Christ. I read a book number of years ago called um, Sacred Marriage, and I think the subtitle was, What if God um, designed marriage to make us holy instead of to make us happy? And um, it talked about, you know, the way in marriage, you, you, it's like iron sharpening iron, you know, and you, you begin to see things in yourself that, you know, God would like to change. Maybe you wouldn't. You would like him to change your husband, but he would like to change. And, and over the years, I've seen that um, it's not just uh, marital relations that do that. It's with our children. It's with our parents. It's with our friends. Um, and, it, and it's a good thing. Um, we have four grandchildren. Um, did y'all want to see pictures? Um, okay, so we have four grandchildren. All of them are adorable, and we love all of them equally, but one of them is a sandpaper child. You know, he just rubs you. And I first realized that he is a major um, instrument, instrument of my sanctification. Um, <laughs> I mean, I realized the first week that we took all four of them to family camp for a week, at the end of the time, God showed me, you have allowed one seven-year-old child to completely wipe away any sanctification you thought you might ever have, and you need to start over. So it's a gift, yes. He asked God to sanctify us, but it is also an ongoing process. Okay, we can also pray. We do this quickly. Um, we can pray to reflect his righteousness, um, which is a churchy word for in right standing with God. So in the last paragraph of the prayer, he addresses his righteous father. Um, Romans 3, through 24, which you looked up, says, But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came from Christ Jesus. Um, I came from a, a ranching family. Um, we raised sheep primarily. And um, I loved lambing season in the spring when all the lambs were born. They're so cute and darling. Sometimes a lamb would die. Sometimes... Um, other lambs um, would lose a mama. And um, so sometimes the, the mama that had lost a lamb would take up with, you know, allow another lamb to, to nurse and, and would take care of it, but not always. And so this is like ranch stuff, so don't get freaked out by this, but um, sometimes they would have to um, skin the dead lamb and wrap his skin around the doggy lamb or the orphan and give it to the mother whose baby had died, whose lamb had died. If she, she would have rejected him before, but when she sensed the presence of her child, she accepted it. She had, in essence, adopted it and raised it. And um, if you look at it from our perspective, because of what the lamb had been to the mother, 
the strange lamb who deserved nothing was adopted into the family with all the appropriate privileges. And it's the same way for us. God sees Christ's blood shed for us, on us, and we are loved by the righteous Father through the Son. Um, and just a quick note, if you read tomorrow's little devotional from our Rock Point devotion, it says that the Japanese, the Chinese, in the Chinese language, the word for righteousness is a combination of two, fig, two characters, figure of a lamb and a person. The lamb is on top, covering the person. Whenever God looks down at you, that's what he sees, the perfect lamb of God covering you. All right, um, we can pray for unity. And I'm going to skip through this. Uh, there's just way too much in this chapter to cover in a few minutes. But um, in the prayer that Jesus modeled here, we see that the unity will come as the Spirit knits our hearts towards each other, and the, and the world will see and know. Um, in a book named The Night He Was Betrayed, the author says, This situation then is perilous. The world antagonistic and unbelieving, the future dark, for master and men. All this is accepted without resentment, without fear. His men, soon to be scattered and shaken, will also in time go forward, imbued with the Spirit, united in loyalty, sure of God's love in Christ, with a gleam of glory in their hearts, and aware of the unfailing presence of the living Christ among them. In them and upon us, the Lord's prayer is being constantly fulfilled. And as I thought about this, I think the thing that um, touched me the most or just settled into my heart the most was that because of Jesus, because of all of this, God is our holy Father. He's our righteous Father. But that also makes him our Abba Father. That that word means daddy. He's a holy, righteous God, but he's our father, and we can sit in his lap and pour our hearts out to him and ask him our hard questions, and, he'll, and he's with us, and he loves us. And I think we've covered, well, we haven't covered anything. We've glanced at a lot in these chapters, um, and you may still have questions. Um, I, I still have questions. Um, but the important thing, I think, is, is to know, to settle in your heart, that Jesus loves us. He wants us to be where he is. He went to prepare a home for us, and he wants us to be where he is. And the only way that we can do that is by confessing our sin, our need for him, accepting his forgiveness and his righteousness. Um, so... I, I, we have all um, been praying for all of you that wherever you are in your faith, that these chapters, Jesus' words to his Father for us, will um, increase your love for him, increase your knowledge of his love for you. Um, and just, um, we just pray for God to speak to each of your spirits and fill you with his love. So can we pray? Um, Father, thank you that Jesus prays for us. Help us to show the world your love by our unity. I thank you for the community that we have um, with others in this room, God. Um, other women with like minds who love you and uh, love each other and how that love shows the world that um, you are God and that 
you sent Jesus to be here. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you do have any questions that we didn't cover, please write them down, email them to your leaders, talk to any of us, because um, I don't want to leave things hanging, and I know things are hanging for me, so maybe they are for you too. Thank you.